0: The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Casablanca. Uh, raise your hand if you've never seen that movie. Had no idea they actually made movies in black and white. Okay, a couple of you, yeah. Um, the movie, of course, is Casablanca. Um, if you've never seen the movie, I guarantee you uh, that the characters, Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, uh, the music, uh, A Kiss is just a kiss. Uh, And the lines from the movie are surely very familiar. Play it again, Sam. Uh, You heard a couple there. Um, We'll always have Paris. Uh, I think this is the beginning of what? Anybody know? A beautiful friendship. Uh, Then, of course, here's looking at you, kid. Um, It is the classic love story, the classic uh, date night chick flick movie uh, about a man and a woman sacrificing their love for a higher purpose, it actually won three Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Uh, it is on the, uh, every movie critic's top ten list of greatest movies of all time. Uh, and it is considered to be, uh, if not the best, uh, date night romantic movie ever made. One of the, uh, one of the few. Um, and believe it or not, this year marks the 75th anniversary of its release. And no, I did not see that movie in the theater uh, when, when it was released. Uh, anybody actually remember the first movie you went to go see as a kid growing up? First movie? Maybe shout it out. Any, any first movies out there? Okay, wow, y'all are young. I, I remember Bambi. I remember that. I actually saw it uh, in the Ultra Vision Movie Theater, uh, the Ultra Vision Movie Theater on uh, where Moses is now. Uh, in West Ashley on Sam Rittenberg. Uh, how about first movies that you saw with uh, you know, a particular date or uh, maybe your spouse? You might remember those. Um, when Janet and I were in college, Janet and I were so broke. We were so broke that we would actually go to the dollar theater with a buy one, get one free movie coupon. Um, so we like to go out to movies uh, still to this day for date night. Uh, without a doubt, our culture has a love affair uh, with the movies. Um, In fact, I would go as far to say that our culture actually gets a lot of what it believes and thinks about uh, God and spirituality and life from the movies they watch and the music they listen to. Now, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they get it right, But through movies and music, the culture is asking questions. They are seeking. They are raising issues. Now, the good news for you and me, we actually have the answers. You know, so instead of going to extremes of either imitating the culture or condemning the culture or maybe even worse, ignoring the culture, um, why not seek to engage the culture? Why not seek to redeem the culture? I believe that's exactly what Jesus did, in fact. In John 3, 17, Jesus said, for the son of man, for God did not send his son into the world to what? To condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's also what the apostle Paul did in Acts chapter 17 in Athens. Uh, He shows up and he uses their culture. Uh, Read the story on your own, Acts chapter 17. He used uh, an altar to an unknown God to point people to Jesus. Now, the Bible says that when he showed up, his heart was deeply troubled by what he saw, but he used their practices to direct people to Jesus. Well, that's what we do here at Coastal. And uh, that's exactly what this series is all about. You might be troubled. In fact, you would probably be deeply troubled by what you see in the world today. You might even be deeply troubled by what you see in any given movie. But instead of either having no spiritual discernment whatsoever, you know, and never being troubled, by what you see in the world, or just the opposite, you know, acting like the stereotypical, judgmental, legalistic nut job uh, that the world thinks that we are, you know, why not engage the culture? Why not uh, redeem culture? Why not point people to Jesus? Now, uh, don't mistake what I'm gonna do in this series for the next six weeks. I am not going to be preaching uh, from the movies themselves. The six movies that we're gonna use as we talk about chick flicks and date nights, uh, they're just hooks. They're just a springboard. Uh, To have a little bit of fun, but then truthfully, just to start the conversation, just to begin the conversation. And this year, that conversation is going to be all about relationships. What I want us to do for the next six weeks is to open up the word of God and to see what God's word actually has to say about marriage, about men and women, about relationships, about sex, about dating. Now, I do want to acknowledge something from the outset. Here in this room this morning, uh, there are different groups of people here. Some of you are here, and you are married, and you are happy about it. Others of you are married, and you wish you weren't. Um... (laughs) Some of you are engaged, and you are excited, and you can't wait to get married. Some of you are here today, and you've been through a divorce, and you're wondering why in the world you chose to come to Coastal today. Others of you have lost a spouse, and there are days where you're not even sure that you'll ever recover. Some of you are single, and you have hopes one day of being married or you're single and in a dating relationship, and you're at that point where you're wondering whether or not you should move forward or pull the plug. Hear this loud and clear. Whatever your situation this morning, I really do believe that the word of God has something to say to each one of us, and that is definitely gonna be true throughout the series. So we're gonna open up the word of God together, and we're gonna look at marriage today, as it was meant to be. Now, I use that phrase specifically, as it was meant to be, on purpose. Because God's purposes and his intention, his design for marriage, um, his purposes aren't automatically achieved just because a young couple says, I do, right? In fact, most relationships go through at least three different stages. There is the, uh, there's the romance stage, of course, right? Right? the romance stage. This is where, you know, almost every relationship starts off, and many of you are, are there, or you're still there, and, you know, maybe, you, you know, you ever talk to a young couple who is uh, about to get married? I mean, they're all googly-eyed, right? I mean, they're all just, you know, the, the butterflies and everything. I mean, then they'll say things like, oh, we just can't wait. It's going to be so awesome to be together 24-7, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the romance, romance stage. And, uh, Uh, During this stage, it's not uncommon for, you know, the couple to put each other on a pedestal and think, you know, he is always right. She can do no wrong, right? That's the, I know, you're laughing. That's the romance stage. It's it's filled with passion and intensity. And then uh, there is the reality stage. The reality stage is where the ideal starts to become an ordeal. And, you know, suddenly that wonderful Thing that initially attracted you to your spouse uh, now becomes the very thing that is irritating you the most and drives you crazy. Uh, The reality stage is often marked by routine and responsibilities. And things are no longer new or exciting. In fact, you might even feel at some point cheated or trapped. That's the reality stage. And then for many, there's the rethinking stage. Um, this is where the ideal has become an ordeal, and now you're ready for a new deal, okay? Um, And at that point, at that stage, you've got several choices. One choice is to bail, and an awful lot of people do that. You know, you get to the point where you just can't take it anymore, you want out, you've been hurt too much, you're neglected too long, and you think it's not worth it. I don't know if you know this or not, but the average marriage today in the United States lasts about seven and a half years. So that that seven-year itch, that's that's a real thing for a lot of people. Now, out of the marriages who do survive, many of them just settle for another choice, and that is the blahs. The blahs. That's where, you know, you know your marriage isn't that great, but you kind of figure, well, at this point, you know, there's not a whole lot I can do about it and so you settle. Someone once said, getting married is a lot like getting into a tub of hot water. After you get used to it, it ain't so hot, <laughs> okay? Um, that's the blahs. That's where you're just kinda living like, uh, living like roommates in a hotel. But listen, there is a better way. You don't have to bail. You don't have to settle for the blahs. You actually can build your marriage. You can build it. Now, how do you do that? Well, you go to the source. You go to the original. You go to the intent. Uh, In Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus with a controversial question about marriage and divorce. Still controversial for many people today. Do Do you remember what Jesus said, though? This is very important how he began this conversation. Four words, he said. Have you not read? Have you not read? Read what? The Word of God. The Bible. Scripture. Now, listen up. As a follower of Jesus, okay, as a believer, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, when it comes to what we say we believe about everything, okay, but today about marriage, about sex, about relationships, about dating, about men and women, about every area of life, our blueprint, okay, is God's holy word. It is the Bible. Now, when it comes to this book, when it comes to the Bible, you got a couple of options. One, is just to lay it down. It's just to set it aside and choose to go your own way, okay? It's where what you think, what you believe, how you feel, um, uh, what the culture accepts in, in any given moment, where those things become your standard. Basically, here's what you do. You stand over and on top of the word of God, and you stand as the authority, what you think, what you feel, what people choose to accept in any given moment, that becomes the, uh, the standard. You stand over and above the word of God. Now, think about this for a second. Most of the world, even some people who claim to be believers live their lives that way every single day. Many people even know what the word of God might say about relationships, about sexuality, about money, about health, about finances, all those things, and and yet they choose to go their own way. Now, here's the truth, though. From time to time, we all do that, don't we? We all go our own way. Now, the Bible actually calls that attitude and those actions sin. And it has some terrible consequences in every area of our life when we choose to go our own way. In fact, the Bible says that it separates us from God and ultimately it leads to death. Simply put, hear this loud and clear. God's way works. God's way and his word, it leads to life. It leads to freedom. It it leads to joy. Which leads me to the other option that we all have. Hear this loud and clear. One is to stand over, to lay God's word aside, to stand above it, to stand over it, in authority over it. But the other is this. It's where you bend the knee and you humble yourself and you stand under this authority. What it says, what it says about life, what it says about marriage, about relationships, regardless of what the culture accepts regardless of what you think or what you feel regardless of what the courts might may or may not legislate God's eternal word never fails never changes and listen to me it is the blueprint it is God's design for every single area of life now let's go back to Jesus for a second in Matthew 19 he says Have you not read that from the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The Pharisees counter with, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? In other words, basically, again, they're trying to trap Jesus, and they say, well, listen, if what God has joined together in marriage were not to separate, then what do you do with the fact that God permitted divorce through Moses? I mean, they're thinking, yes, we got him. Jesus replies, Moses permitted you divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from what? What does he say? The beginning. In other words, Jesus was saying, listen, divorce was never God's intention, yes, he allowed it because of our sin, because of our, your hard hearts, but if you really wanna understand God's intention for marriage, you gotta go back to the beginning. And that's what we're gonna to do today. You know, in order to build something, you need blueprints, right? You need a set of designs. Well, in order to build, in order to find God's d- divine blueprint for marriage, I think you gotta go back to the beginning. You gotta go back to uh, the Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman, if you will, of relationships. Adam and Eve. And there's several things that I want you to see about their relationship, Adam and Eve, that reveal God's original blueprint for marriage, his original plan. First of all, if you're taking notes, number one, it was purposeful. It was purposeful. Another word might be intentional. Okay, Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Uh, another translation says, a helper fit for him. It's the idea of a perfectly complimenting him. Man, what a great statement right there about God's intent, God's purpose for marriage, that it's not that the man is superior to the woman or that the woman is better than the man, but each one beautifully, perfectly complements the other. Adam needed a helper specifically fit for him. And so you'd expect the next verse to say, so God created woman, but it doesn't. In verses 19 through 20, uh, God brings all these animals pr- parading by Adam to name, which he does, but still, the end of verse 20 says, for Adam, uh, for Adam no suitable helper uh, was found. So in other words, now, after looking at hippopotamuses and, and monkeys and giraffes and lizards, the woman is really going to look good to Adam, Okay? And so God is setting him up here for verses 21 through 22. So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep, fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now God could have created woman out of the dust of the ground, the same way he created man. But he, he took a rib from the side of Adam to show this unique closeness of this relationship. And uh, Adam wakes up from his deep sleep and and there standing before him, oh my goodness, is the most beautiful creature he has ever seen. Verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Basically, Adam is saying, God, God, you outdid yourself. This is awesome. Wrap her up. I will take her. On, on, on second thought, don't wrap her up. I will take her <laughs> just as she is. And then in verse 24, we're given giving the, giving the best picture of this special companionship that's ever been written. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now that description right there forms the foundation for the Bible's understanding of this relationship of marriage. In fact, listen, it's not just there in Genesis. It actually gets quoted four other times throughout the Bible. Uh, Both Jesus in Matthew 19, Paul in Ephesians 5 quote this same passage in reference to marriage. Now, listen to me, why, why is that so important? Because many people today want you to believe that the monogamous two-parent male-female family was invented in the 1950s by Ozzie and Harriet in American television. And that's just not true. It goes all the way back to the back, all the way back to the beginning, all the way to the very beginning with Adam and Eve. In God's declaration that a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That is what constitutes marriage according to our creator and according to Jesus. That is the ideal. Now, this isn't polygamy. This isn't adultery. This isn't homosexual cohabitation. It's not promiscuity. It's not living together outside of marriage. No. This is God's ideal for marriage. His blueprint, his design from his mouth and from the mouth of Jesus One man, one woman, one life. Now that's the standard. Now Coastal, here is the reality. As we together submit ourselves to God's word, you know what we find out? We discover that all of us, everyone in this room, me included, we all fall short of God's standard. That's why we're in need of grace. That's why we're in need, that's why we need a savior. Now here's the good news. The good news is that one has been provided. His name is Jesus. And our job as the church is to point people to him and to allow the Holy Spirit to do the changing and to be a people of both grace and truth. Don't you see, this is, this is one of the beautiful purposes of God's design for marriage. It points all of us to our need for forgiveness. I mean, you put two sinful people together, you discover really quickly that you are in need of forgiveness and you're in need of a savior. In fact, in Ephesians 5, after quoting the same passage in Genesis, the apostle Paul says, hey, this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of Jesus and the church. In other words, the oneness, the companionship that God intended for a man and a woman to experience together in marriage. It's a beautiful picture of the relationship that Jesus has with you and me in the church. Wow. So this very first marriage, it was ideal because it was purposeful. God designed a man and a woman to perfectly complement one another and to point us to our need for a Savior. Now, I want to get really practical for a moment. I don't want you to walk out of here just knowing something in your head. I want you to feel something in your heart and I want you to do something. Here's what I want you to do. Little little homework assignment. I want you to plan uh, a date night with your spouse if you're married. And if you're in a serious relationship, I want you to plan a time where you're gonna get together and here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourselves this question we're just gonna, we're gonna look at each one of these points. How purposeful, how intentional are we in building our marriage? Or have we just settled for the blahs? Okay, listen to me for a second. You never drift into a great relationship, ever. And so one thing to start this little conversation might be this. Here's what I want you to do. Rate your relationship. You know, just, rate, just come into that little, that little date uh, night, uh, that little experience, knowing that, that you've come, your homework assignment is to rate the relationship, okay? Now, let me just say this. Typically, men will always rank the relationship a lot higher than a woman will, okay? You're gonna think, man, our relationship is like a seven or a nine, and the, the woman is gonna think, well, are you stupid? We're like a three or a four, you know? What are you thinking? Okay, so don't get stuck there. Just know that's probably gonna happen. But here's what you need to ask yourselves, okay? So, What practical step could we take to improve our relationship? Okay, so the homework is you're going to get together, you're going to rate the relationship. How intentional or purposeful are we in building this relationship that's going to help do this? And then you're going to say, what practical steps could we take to move up the scale? Okay, that's your homework. Schedule a date night, make that happen. What practical steps could we take to move up the scale? the scale. Now, along with being intentional, along with having a purposeful relationship, number two, this relationship was also transparent. It was transparent. Uh, Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's like my favorite verse in the Bible right there. I've been using that verse for 30 years to convince my wife to sleep naked. I know it's there, right there in the Bible. Anyway, prior to the fall, um, Adam and Eve Were naked inside and out, felt no shame. They were completely open and transparent. But then sin entered the relationship and everything changed. You know the story. Uh, Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, and Genesis 3 7 tells us the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and they made covering for themselves. Now, why'd they do that? Because sin made them self conscious. Sin made them want to hide. It brought, you know, all of a sudden they are, you know, that showed naked and afraid. Okay, that's what they are. You know, God asked Adam, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Adam immediately throws Eve and God under the bus and he says, Lord, it was the woman you gave me. Okay? And then when God asked Eve what she had done, she blames who? The serpent, the snake. It was the serpent's fault. He deceived me. And from that point on in history, the man has been blaming the wife and the wife has been calling the man a snake. And, uh, and here we are today. But as your relationship deepens, the closer you get to the ideal, the more transparent and honest you should be becoming. Listen, you can't be close to somebody from whom you're keeping secrets. Trust thrives on two things, truth and transparency. Write that down. Trust thrives on truth and transparency. Now, obviously, the key to that is actually speaking to each other. Your transparency will never be any deeper than your willingness to talk and to genuinely listen to each other, right? Communication. In fact, listen to uh, this challenge found in Ephesians 4.15. Instead, you know, speak the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head, Jesus Christ. In other words, applied to marriage, applied to relationships, as we become more and more like Jesus, the closer we're gonna be with each other. Now again, let's, uh, let's get really practical, okay? Back to that little date night, back to that little relationship uh, uh, assignment. Another question you need to ask is this. What could we do to increase The trust and transparency in our relationship. What could we do to increase the trust and transparency in our relationship? Ask that question. You know, in other words, is there something in our relationship that both of us know we need to talk about, but we've been avoiding it? What could you do to increase the trust and transparency? Are you hiding something? Are you keeping secrets? It's time to come clean and confess and have that conversation. Thirdly, third thing I want you to see about Adam and Eve's relationship. It was God-centered. It was God-centered. Before the fall, Adam and Eve enjoyed this uh, unhindered access and fellowship with God and then that spilled over in the relationship that they had with each other. But there's this myth today. Okay, there's this myth in marriage that goes something like this. Well, you know, if two people will just love each other enough, then the relationship will succeed. Well, that formula is only partially true. You see, if love, if true love, real love, is choosing to treat somebody the way you want to be treated, regardless of how you feel and regardless of how they respond, where are you going to get the power to do that over the long haul? Because your love runs out. My love runs out. Human love gets tired. For a relationship to succeed, not only must two people be committed to each other, but they've got to find a power and a strength from another source. And listen, that's where God comes in. That's the choice that you and I can make, the choice to invite God to be the center of our relationship. You know, the rest of Genesis chapter three uh, is all about consequences, and and they're pretty serious. But there's also hope. In verses 14 through 15, it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you will be punished. You are singled out from all the domestic and wild animals of the whole earth to be cursed. You will grovel in the dust for as long as you live, crawling along on your belly. From now on, uh, you and the woman will be enemies, and your offspring and her offspring will be enemies. And then here's the hope And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. That's a prophecy. God is saying, Adam and Eve, because you've messed up in the garden, Yes, you're gonna be cast out and you're gonna face some really tough stuff and there's some serious consequences, but there's gonna come a savior and he's gonna crush the head of the serpent. So even though the consequences are grave, there is hope. You can still experience community and oneness with me and with one another. You know, in Ecclesiastes 4.12, it says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The best relationships are always made up of three you, your spouse, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, put put Jesus at the center of your life. Put Jesus at the center of your, your marriage. Because, listen, if Jesus is in you and if Jesus is in your spouse, Jesus will always find a way to get along with Jesus. He just will. You know, I don't know where you're at this morning and I don't know how you're feeling about your relationship. Some of you may be feeling a a sense of deep, deep hurt. Some of you are in a relationship and you're feeling a sense of apathy, a sense of disappointment. There there may be some of you are here today honestly feeling like that it's hopeless. Listen, regardless of how you feel about your marriage, let me tell you something. God can do what we cannot do. In Matthew 19, 26, it says, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. The real question for you to answer right now is, how am I looking at this relationship? How am I looking at my marriage? Only from a human perspective? Or am I looking at it from God's perspective? Because he can do what we cannot do. God can resurrect a dead marriage. By the way, that's why if you are single, before you even date somebody, you make sure that you will always be their number two. That their relationship with God is always number one in their life and they know that about you up front. Make the decision to put God at the center of your life. Now, let's go back to our homework assignment. You know, how could we improve our relationship? How could we be a little bit more intentional? Again, rate your relationship. What could we do to improve it? That's about being purposeful, intentional. How could we be a little bit more transparent with each other? Are there any secrets that we're keeping? Is there something that we're uh, not sharing or that we know we need to talk about but we're not talking about? And then ask yourself this. What steps could we take to move toward a more God-centered relationship? Again, you're just looking at this outline. What steps could we take to become more God-centered? Talk about it. You know, could we pray together? Maybe it's time you read a devotional book through together. You know, you make, make worship a priority. You serve together. You know, talk about, talk, talk about your spiritual life. You know, some of you are wondering right now, you know, did I even marry the right person? Is this marriage gonna last? Listen, I want you to know, it is not too late to invite God into the center of your relationship. Why not make that decision today? You know, I wanna pray for your relationships. I wanna pray for you as you choose to live out these decisions. You know, the first step, though, in making God the center of this relationship is for you to make God the center of your life. You can't make somebody else make that choice, but you can make it. And then they have to respond to you differently. Choose to put God at the center of your life. And if you have never done that, if you've never done that, what are you waiting on? Then you could do it today. You can open up your life to God here and now. You know, God is not you know, waiting on you to clean up your life first. He wants you to invite him into, into your life so that he can do the cleaning. He wants to work on you from the inside out. Listen, you need him in your life because you are in need of a savior. That's what what the word of God points us to. That's what marriage points us to, that we're sinners in need of a savior and one has been provided, his name is Jesus. And it's time that you humble yourself, maybe, and bow your knee and submit to him in your life. And you can do that now. You can do that today. It is as beautiful and yet as simple as a prayer. And I wanna lead you in that today. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your relationships. Pray for your marriage. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for your design, your blueprint for marriage, for life, for relationships. And God, I pray that we would not stand over and above your word and your blueprint, but we would bend the knee, we would humble ourselves, and we would submit ourselves to your authority and your word. And Father, when we do that, you know what we're reminded of? That we're sinners in need of a savior. And listen, if you've never opened up your life to him, you can do it right here and right now. You can have forgiveness. You can have hope. You can walk out of here today with a clean conscience. You can walk out of here with a strength and a power you never knew. Open up your heart to God right here and right now and say, dear heavenly Father, I wanna come home. God, forgive me. I do believe. I believe that your son Jesus is the Savior that was provided for me and my sin. My sin, I put him on that cross. Today, I recognize it. And Father, I turn away from it and I turn toward Jesus. Not only do I believe he went to the cross for me, but he was buried in a tomb. Death could not contain him. He rose from the dead and he is alive. And he has power over sin, power over death, power over the sin in my life. And I submit to him today and I ask him to come into my life to forgive me and to be my savior and to be my Lord. And God, for the rest of my days, I just wanna become more and more like you now see me today, forgiven, brand new and clean. And God, I pray that this is a church that's not quick to point out people's sin, but we are quick to point out the savior to direct them to him and allow your spirit to do the changing of people's lives. We all fall short of your standard and we are all in need of a savior. And he has been provided. His name is Jesus. And I pray that this church is always lifting him up, always pointing people to him. And Father, I pray for the marriages and the relationships that are represented in this room. May we move closer and closer to, to your design. May our relationships be purposeful beautifully, perfectly complementing each other. May we be transparent, full of truth and trust and transparency. And Father, may we have you and your son, Jesus, right at the very center of all things. And I pray this in his most beautiful name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal, or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, Check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.